the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Friday, everyone. We're going to start off talking about John Ortberg and then talk about some other stuff. This is The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with the man who likes Friday more than any person I've ever met in my entire life. That's right. My friend and yours. Give it up for Pastor Brian Fromm. I do love Fridays. I love TGI Fridays. I love everything about Friday. Yes, you are wait, correct. The, wait, the, the, the restaurant? restaurant? Yes. Do you not like TGI Fridays? It's not that I don't like it, but I don't think I would ever say I love TGI Fridays. I'm going to go. This is going to be a controversial take. Wow, well, one yeah, that we're will, starting off hot. One that will not surprise you, as you've gotten to know me. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of a lot of those chain restaurants. Hmm. Give me a Hands, a Chili's, a Friday's, even an Applebee's, and I'm good. Uh, none of that surprises me at all. Do you enjoy those restaurants? I do not. Not any of them? Not really, no. Interesting. My wife and I, we when we were dating, we would always go to the Hands in Donata, and then we were married, which is in Wheaton. And then we got married, and uh, we still lived in Wheaton, so we'd still always go to the school of hands. It was like our restaurant. We just found out the other day it closed. Oh, man. It's like a part of our marriage died. Okay, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you saved that one till after your anniversary trip. Yes. <laughs> I will say, someone got us some uh, gift cards to Chili's, so you know, I'm also a tightwad, so I'm like, well, we're going to use these gift yes. cards. Yes. And it was horrific. Like really? Both, both of our meals were awful. And she was like, did they change the recipe, or is this just us, or was it an off day? It was really bad. I'll say this, though. It's uh, one exception. We've really loved Olive Garden as of late. I have that no idea why. so funny because my family <laughs> loves Olive Garden, and you would think I do. I don't like Olive Garden. Are you Garden. kidding me? No. That is like my one where I go, oppo. My family, they go. <laughs> In fact, when I'm busy, let's say I have a meeting or something, and yeah. they're going to go out as, like without me, they go to Olive Garden because no, they all like it, and so they know funny. that I'm not a fan of Olive Garden. Yeah, I think you know, Katie and I can be a little too hipster for our own good, but again, it was like a gift card situation, and the whole time, we're like halfway through the meal, we're like, this is kind of amazing. <laughs> Why have we been hating on this? So, yeah, I mean, I'm just a fan and of And you're food. feeling guilty all through it. Like, wait, oh, yes, I will have more salad, but I feel guilty it's about this. It's not guilt necessarily, but it does feel strange, and I, we just need to get over it. All right, so I mentioned it, um, I guess, right at the top of the show. Uh, John Ortberg, and I was talking with a couple of pastors at our church today or yesterday, mm-hmm. and they hadn't heard any of this. So we've been debating the last few days whether or not to even do this story, um, because I'm not entirely sure where to take it. But I do think it's significant. A lot of people listening will be familiar with the name of John Ortberg. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of John Ortberg and his yeah. writing, and he's yeah. you know he pastored right here in Chicagoland for a long time. And had a played a major part in what's uh, in the unearthing of the charges at Willow That's and right. kind of bringing those to light. So tell us a little bit about this story then, and why why is this such a big deal, and why is it still kind of it's has some not traction? only a big deal. I have found myself really sad about this. Okay, <laughs> uh, maybe because a little bit of like oh, there's more. So anyway. Uh, this is out of Christianity Today. We'll post the article if we haven't already. It says, John Ortberg investigated after church volunteer confessed attraction <laughs> to minors. 
uh, Menlo Park, which uh, Menlo Church, which is where he is, said the senior pastor showed quote poor judgment in allowing the member to work with children and failing to notify other staff. So the Reader's Digest version of this is, and we get these as pastors every now and then, but it said a person serving in the Menlo Church community came to John and shared in confidence an unwanted thought pattern of attraction to minors. The person assured to John's satisfaction that the person had not acted on the attraction and sought John's support. John believed the person and provided prayers and referrals of counseling. So you can see how this plays out. Uh, well, here's where they took the step that was a huge misstep. It said, but Ortberg took no steps to bar the person from working with minors, according to the elders. He also did not talk to other staff or church members about the situation. And so that's where this goes sideways. Yeah. It's, uh, I, and I just can't get my mind around this. Like, we've all been in these situations where people, where you find out something and you want to do all you can to protect kids. Yeah. And so yes. I don't understand yes. why the move was not, hey, we're going to get you counseling. I'm going to pray for you. Right. I'm going to let some other people in on this, but we're going to protect you uh, in terms of like your rep, you know, we're not going to tell the whole church or whatever, right. but I've got to pull you away from children. Like you could be at the front door, you could so be obvious. on the hospitality, whatever. Sure. Right. Uh, but you can't be with children. And, uh, and so that's the one. And the, the, the really crazy part of this story then comes out that, um, it says the church's statement did not name the third party who brought Ortberg's actions to the church's attention. But yesterday, Daniel Lavery, uh, who is Ortberg's estranged son, posted a message on Twitter saying that he and his wife are the ones who had reported the pastor. Uh, and it gets even messier uh, when you realize that Lavery, who is his son, used to be his daughter, I believe, by the name of Mallory. And so there's what what makes me really sad about this is there it feels like there's just an enormous amount of just the pain within their family has been just kind of thrown out there through this situation. So that's why when I've read, like I've read a couple of these stories, it just makes me sad. Yeah. He needs to be sat that like uh, punished for what happened with the church and the, and the, uh, the volunteer and still being allowed with kids. But then you get into the family stuff and you almost, uh, you just, it makes you sad. So what, what possible reason do you think Orpah could have had for not doing what you suggested? I don't know. I, Was I it just a lapse of judgment. Was it, distracted by other things a lapse or, of judgment a uh or do we know this is even like has this been verified or is this still it's in only been stage? verified in the sense that the church has put him on leave or basically has punished him so it's saying that the elders believed it but yeah. i don't think it's been ver- verified ortberg has not been quoted ortberg hasn't come out and been like here's what i did you know i was wrong about this um so if you're looking for verification, the closest verification is the fact that the elders found credibility in it yeah. uh, and sat him down. But, um, you know, lapse in judgment, maybe, maybe a, a too optimistic view of of this person's um, uh, word that they haven't been acting upon anything. It could be any of those things. But well, how would you uh, respond then? Like if you're, For you, if you're uh, in as clear a mind and state as you imagine you'd hope to be in a situation like that where someone's like, hey, I haven't acted in any of it, but I just needed to confess to you, my friend and my pastor. For you, is that an immediate, like, all right, man, I love you. We're going to we're gonna even help you get some counseling. You cannot serve in this ministry. 100%. Yeah. I think, I don't think that we can be cautious enough when it comes to children. Yeah, uh, a, the number one reason for that is because, uh, <laughs> you know, children are vulnerable and innocent, and we've got to protect children. We as adults need to protect children. So that's the by far the primary. But then even to take it a secondarily, like what is the thing that's going to torpedo a church quicker 
uh, then they don't protect children mm. or even just that that uh, that rumor. Right. And so even when it comes to self-preservation, you want to say we're going to take care of the children. Right. But first and foremost, it is we're just called to protect children. And so uh, Orberg, by the way, uh, correction in children, Christianity Today, he was on leave. He has returned from leave January 24th per a restoration plan from the elder board. And so uh, you bring up a good point. Ortberg hasn't spoken yet about this. Uh, And you just wonder what's going on with the family. Like there, you read the stuff and there's clearly a major chasm between um, child and, and parents. And uh, it just makes you sad uh, for the church, uh, but for the Ortberg family. And you almost feel guilty or dirty, like reading about what's going on in their family. Well, and, and it does, I mean, in the statement too, he does uh, admit that he did not handle this matter consistent with the responsibilities to Menlo. Furthermore, in the statement, he deeply apologizes for his actions oh, and decisions go. and is committed to the safety and integrity of our community and to ensuring that such a situation does not arise again. So he ha- he has actually, via that statement, there you um, go. made those, which uh, at the very least is refreshing, particularly in light of some of the stuff we've seen in the last year in Chicagoland. We're like, why... Why is contrition mm-hmm. so out of reach so often, it seems? So at the very least, I know I'm biased because I like John Orberg anyway, right. or I don't know him, but I like his writing. So yep. gosh, I hope this is a path to healing. And at the very least, this is uh, a wake-up call for anyone else who maybe doesn't take things like this seriously enough, especially in positions of leadership. No, yes. I'm kidding. All right, well, before we wrap up this segment here, uh, the weather outside might feel like winter, which it most certainly does. I'm freezing right now. Uh, but if you have school-age kids, you might be thinking about going back to school. And then maybe you thought about Christian private school not being an option for you. I want to tell you about HalfPriceSchools.com. At HalfPriceSchools.com, you can find, you guessed it, local private Christian schools from all over Chicagoland that are offering vouchers for a full year of tuition. Guess the price, Brian. Uh $11.75. You're so close. Half the price Okay, with no catch, which I don't think is $11. Find a Christian school near you. Purchase the tuition voucher. Prepare to send your child off to school this fall. It's quite literally that simple. Halfpriceschools.com has schools located all across Chicagoland, including Westminster Christian School in Elgin, Christian Liberty Academy in Arlington Heights, and Chicago Hope Academy on the near west side of Chicago. So for all of you listening, you can make private Christian school a real option for you and your family, possibly for the first time. But don't wait. Every year these vouchers do sell out, so visit halfpriceschools.com today. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, I hope you're pumped up. That song always gets me. Gets you going. (laughs) Gets me me amped. Uh, My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, I teed it up. This is the story. Christians are big on relationships, but weak on discipleship and evangelism, mm. which, again, <laughs> are kind of churchy words anyway. Like, you're not a church person. You're like, discipleship, evangelism. Like, really, discipleship is about formation. Yep. And evangelism is about sharing the gospel. So, Invitation. So, invita- yes. Ooh, look at yep. you, preacher yep. Brian. There it is. So, essentially, what they're, they're making the claim is, like, we, we love relationship building, and we're pretty good at it. But when it comes to some of the nuts and bolts of, like, you know, what maybe you would call sanctification, hmm. uh, we're not great at. And when it comes to actually sharing your faith, uh, we're not great there either. And it's sort of one of those preach the gospel always, uh, if necessary, use words, which I think is misattributed to right. St. Francis of Assisi. Um, but I'm curious, one, 
like what about this article stood out to you? And two, uh, how do you see this at play, like in your in your own con uh, in your own context? Are you guys better at this? Are you worse at this? Uh, it's interesting because if you asked me what our church is good at, I would say number one, it's relationships. Yeah, and so I do get this, and that's a good thing. I think that people long to be known and know other people, and so church is an avenue for doing that. And being a part of a family and being part of a church community is an avenue for doing that. And so I want to cheer this on. Uh, somewhere in the article here, it said uh, some 78% uh, of study participants said they developed significant relationships with people at their church. Like they, I want to applaud that and say that is awesome. Yeah, uh, You and I both were part of churches with the word community in it. Uh-huh. And uh, we want to say, yes, we love that people here are finding relationships. They're becoming known by other people because we live in a culture that is lonely. And uh, loneliness pervades our culture, Christian, non-Christian alike. Uh, people long to be known. And so the question becomes, uh, can the church be a spot that is working against that, that is helping uh, cure that loneliness. And I think what we're seeing here is people are saying, yeah, my church does do that to some degree. The question becomes, what is the fruit of those relationships? And I think that's where it starts to break down a little bit here. Like, are those relationships, do they have a discipleship element to put it another way? Are they helping me become formed for help forming me to be more like Jesus? Or are we looking for opportunities to share Jesus with other people? And that's where the statistics kind of say, you know what, we're, we're not we're not doing a great job as churches. Which, again, uh, to be fair or to play the other side or I don't, I'm trying not to say devil's advocate because I don't want to advocate for the devil. But, but uh, yes. in general, though, there I, I, th- I think sometimes this trend is an understandable reaction to not want to treat people like projects, you know, mm-hmm. to not like, hey, it's about uh, moving you down this road or moving the needle in your life. Like, I think we can desire these things for people and sometimes go about them in really like mechanistic ways yep. that feel very like, oh, the only reason you're talking to me is to evangelize to me. Yeah. Or the only reason you're making time for me is so you can quote unquote disciple me. Like, I think those are good cautions. Um, but it does feel a little bit like the pendulum has gone too far the other yep. direction. Some of these stats talk about even how infrequently Christ followers even pray for opportunities, which yes. I found that actually to be almost more convicting than anything else. It's not just that it is or isn't happening, but it's like, oh, we don't even see a value for it enough to pray for it, um, which, I, you know, I'll turn it on myself. I was convicted yep. by some of those statistics. Yep. Sometimes even in the work of being a pastor, you you can get so caught in the weeds of doing pastoral things that some of these other things can suffer. And we've talked even about <laughs> sort of the embarrassing um, skittishness we feel in even telling yeah. strangers we're pastors. Yep. Like, what is that? That is, uh, at its base, um, one, embarrassing. But two, it is us veering away from opportunities to evangelize. Yeah. So to do that in a way that is authentic and honest, um, I think is really... It's, that's hard to master, and there are few, there are very few examples where I've seen it done well. To be honest, yeah. so yeah. how do we, how do we get better? You know, I think we model it, like you said, and I do think there are some systems. People are not necessary. Some people do this, but very few people go are have the ability to take a a kind of shallow relationship or even a growing relationship and change and and move it in the direction of a of a relationship that's helping me grow in my faith and asking the hard questions and this and that. And so I do think it's on the church to give some tools to help that happen and to paint a picture as to like, 
here's why that's important. The evangelism one for me is a little different because yeah, that's now right. that's no longer talking about the relationships within your church. And I right. do think that's true that this prayer element is a convicting one because Jesus says, "Pray uh, for the harvest." Right? Pray that He'd send out workers, and then He's you know like kind of implied in that is you are the worker. Yeah, right. and I but, think He does more than imply. Good point. Uh, <laughs> but then raising it to a level of prayer, raising it to that level, I think is really powerful. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you always say it really well, and I forget exactly how I say it, but what we celebrate is, go for it. What? I don't know what you're saying. Come on. It's your line always. <laughs> it's my line. And what we celebrate what? is what we replicate, what we do. Oh, that's even better. I think I say what's rewarded is repeated. There it is. <laughs> there it is. How about what is celebrated is what is replicated. Yes. <laughs> so, so many more syllables. So are we only celebrating? What are we celebrating as a church? You're right. What do we say? Are we holding up people? Uh, and by celebrating, I mean, are we telling the stories of people uh, who have who are doing this kind of discipleship within the church right. and helping them see, oh, this isn't a crazy thing. I know that person. Are we celebrating and telling the stories of people who have even attempted to share their faith and it didn't go well? Like, right? Yeah, they froze and it was hard. Are we praying within our body for the opportunity within our church for the opportunities to share these kind of things? Right. Like it's. Yeah. Are we giving easy mechanisms to do it? I think there's things that we as churches can do to get a couple wins that will then grow a culture. And in, uh, just to say it out loud, uh, I know that some of you may be thinking like, oh, it's those darn millennials. It's the Gen Z. It's not, it's not true in terms yeah. of age. Those 65 and older were the least likely to have discussed their faith with others. And the two other statistics you touched on it that really kind of uh, have me a little shaken is 27% uh, rarely or never – uh, personally pray for opportunities, which I think then corresponds mm. with uh, less than half, 48%, said that they intentionally spend time with other believers to help them grow in their faith. So there, there is a, a level of intentionality that I think is um, is is missing. And I and I don't want to so elevate, like, oh, if we just prayed more, right. it fixes itself. I think all of your, your call and charge for mechanisms, for systems, for structures is really, really important. But without the prayer piece... I, I don't know that our heart is formed in the ways of Jesus that implement those practices well. I think you can be a church that with high efficiency yes. and maybe even high success can implement tactics. But if we don't actually have a heart for the people, whether it's people inside our church or we're discipling and walking alongside of or those outside the church that we're just caring for and spending time with, yes. without the right heart posture, all of that is pharisaic. It, yeah, it, good. Is, it is legalism at best, and we might do it with a smile on our face, and we may even like enjoy, you know, the quote unquote results of a growing church yep. numerically, yep. or all that stuff can create a happy feeling. Yep. But I think it has to go deeper than that. It has it, to go deeper than implementation. And it's not just about the church. Like if you're listening there and you uh, you feel no motivation uh, to talk about your faith, to help other people grow, to have people in your life helping you grow. Uh, to love your neighbor and these kind of things. I think you need to look inward a little bit and be like, well, what's, what's, uh, what am I not grasping in my faith? What is, there, there's a little bit of self-motivation here because it's, the answer is not that we're all busy. We are all busy, uh, but we're also lonely. People want to be known. Uh, it, 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 there, there needs to be a little bit of self-reflection in all of us on yeah. this. This isn't just about church systems. Yeah, I totally agree. This, this is, I'll just end with this one. Cause this one's like a punch of the stomach. Um, Many Christians have not had an evangelistic conversation, but the study found that over half, 55%, had invited a non-Christian to a church service or act uh, or activity in the last year. So so we're seeing, I think, um, a willingness to some degree to make the invite 
And that's kind of why I think I want to end with this one, because I think so often these discussions, especially if you if you didn't go to seminary or have mm-hmm. a Bible degree, like evangelism, discipleship, I don't know how to do any of those things. Like, okay, so maybe it just starts with, maybe if the only thing that you hear is us say, pray for the people in your sphere of influence and yeah. in your life and make the ask. Mm. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to cross every T and dot every I. Like, hey, this community has been really formative for me over the last five years, and I would love for you to be a part of it. Yes. Would you join me next Sunday? Like, yeah. that's all That's all it needs to be. And I think, one, I think people will be really honored. But I think, two, the other thing is that when we actually do it, we'll realize it's not actually as scary mm. as I think we often make it out to be. Absolutely. Which I think is really, really important. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrive and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to thrivent.com today. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can always find old shows online at 1160hope.com. You can get our podcast at Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. I'm going to learn one every day. Just a new spot where you can find a podcast. So. I, don't, I don't think there's that many. Stitcher? Stitcher? Stitcher's one. <laughs> is, it, is our podcast on Stitcher? I don't know. I'm going to look that up. You might want to. You should look it up first before <laughs> before I tell people. Everyone, to go Stitcher. There. It might be there. It may be there. <laughs> but once you find our podcast, wherever it is you do podcasts, go ahead and uh, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate that. Uh, and again, we're really grateful for those of you who listen live. Those of you who listen over the podcast, we're we're glad that you do so. Uh, well, a a challenging and encouraging story uh, with the headline of this. A three-year-old gave her mom a 25-word master class on what forgiveness really means. So I'm going to read a little bit of this, and then uh, let's jump in because it's, uh, it, it gives a great window into a child's mind and, and how forgiveness works. It says, Mom and blogger Mary Catherine Backstrom regularly shares snippets of life of her two children. Uh, one particularly touching interaction with her child is melting the hearts and blowing the minds due to the three-year-old's wise words about forgiveness. Even adults struggle with the concept of forgiveness. Entire books are written about it. So who would guess a preschooler would encapsulate what forgiveness means only in a handful of innocent words? Here, here is her Facebook post. My daughter and I just had a knockdown, drag out, bedtime hour fight. Finally, about 10 minutes ago, I put her to bed and through clenched teeth said, I love you, Holland, but not another word tonight. You're going to sleep now. 
I'm done arguing over stuffed animals. Mommy, I paused on the way out the door, literally biting my tongue. I was so frustrated. What is it, Holland? I do have one more thing to say. Of course she did. And she said, Mommy, I forgive you. Then she laid down and cried and honest to goodness for a hot minute. I didn't know what to do. The way she said, said, I forgive you made it sound like cuss words. Baby girl, do you know what forgiveness means? Yes, she said. I really had to hear this. It means you were wrong and I'm tired of being mad and now I'm going to sleep and my heart won't have a tummy ache. <laughs> Let's read that again. It means you were wrong and I'm tired of being mad and now I'm going to sleep and my heart won't have a tummy ache. And the, the blogger says this. There you have it, folks. Tonight I was taught a lesson in forgiveness by a three-year-old. It was a gut punch. Uh, and you're right. I climbed in that bed and I loved on her because, to be honest, my heart had a bit of a tummy ache. I was reminded by my toddler to never go to bed in anger because when we do, your heart will have a tummy ache. And you know what? I've been alive for 35 years and I've got to give it to her. She's not wrong. Mm. And this thing just went viral. It uh, it was shared. It said more than 92,000 times. That's the definition there of going viral and uh, wondering just uh, just it's kind of a. You know, the, the children will lead us. Wondering your thoughts as you read this post. Who, who said the children will lead us? I did. <laughs> I meshed together a bunch of different things. <laughs> and the children, they shall lead us. I think it's Old, Old Testament. Brian from 2019. The, the children said, let my people go. Ah, uh, yes. That was Abraham Lincoln, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Citations here on the common yes, good. Yes. No, I, I love stories like this because I think that there's a there's a certain uh, rawness, I think, to a child, three-year-old that doesn't, you know, wasn't planning on going viral, wasn't trying to be clever or kitschy or pithy or any of those things. Right. It was just legitimately communicating. I feel like my heart has a tummy ache. And I think so often what keeps us from forgiveness is the belief that by me holding on to this thing, I'm somehow either going to do myself some benefit or cause you some harm. You know, Ooh. this, this thought that bitterness is somehow going to benefit me in some way. And I think the, the older I get, the more I realize how how untrue that is. And sometimes it's still just as hard to do. Like I can, you can read all the books and hear all the sermons you want on Correct. forgiveness. You can even read an article like this and think, man, that's so sweet that she was able to, to define it that way. But I still have that person that I'm angry at. Or yeah. I, still, I still have that issue that I haven't reconciled. And I think, uh, I don't know, I appreciate stories like this. And this is one of those instances where I feel like social media benefits us because it's a story that, this mom took the opportunity to share and in all the, you know, garbage that we see online and all the fighting and all the humble bragging and all that, you know, for her to just sort of walk through this really kind of intimate interaction with her daughter. I, I don't know. I think there's a reason stuff like this goes viral. There's yes. plenty of stupid stuff that goes viral. I'm not saying everything that goes viral it's has, some, has yeah. some deep, important meaning. Um, but there's a reason that 92,000 people are like, oh man, I, I need more people to see this because I think there's just something that feels so true to that and something that feels honestly, very deeply sacred, very spiritual to recognize yeah. it. Oh, it's not just forgive because we're supposed to forgive because Jesus died for your sins. Those are true. Yep. But like, yeah, it's a, to not forgive, to hold on to bitterness actually is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. And that's just not, it's just not a good way to live. Yeah. Let me ask you this as a pastor or not even just as a pastor, as someone who just is a human being, uh, I am. But, but when we preach on forgiveness, you probably get a lot of questions with very specific, like, well, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to forgive? Because we all know uh, your good line there about uh, 
about poison. Like, you know, you always hear like forgiveness is letting yourself out of prison, all this kind of stuff. And uh, we know these things about forgiveness. We know the verses about forgiveness, right? You should forgive uh, all these different things about forgiveness. Why uh, do you think forgiveness is so hard? And then maybe what is one step you'd give to somebody who is struggling with forgiveness? What is what is just a one? Hey, here's here's a baby step. Here's something to think about. Yeah, typically when walking through some with someone who's wrestling with this, I'll tell them a couple of things that forgiveness isn't just to kind of dispel some of the rumors. I'll say it's it's not denying that wrong yeah. wasn't done. It's not contingent on an apology. You can forgive without the person ever asking for forgiveness. It's not necessarily forgetting. You know, sometimes people you need to. So someone who's been toxic to you, it's not forgetting that they've been toxic to you. And it's not necessarily reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Yeah. Reconciliation takes two yeah. people. Forgiveness only takes one. So I always remind people it's uh, it's a canceling of a debt. It's removing the control the person has over you. It sometimes is an ongoing process. It doesn't just happen in a moment. Like, well, I forgave him. Why does my heart still hurt? Yep. And I think when you know that you've gotten there, it's that you genuinely want good for that person, even if, even if you don't need them in your life anymore. And the step that I always find most difficult is I'll ask people, why don't you actually calculate what this person owes you and and whatever metrics, whatever metrics that you think you've been. And I'm, you know, it's not saying, well, it wasn't that bad. It's not diminishing any of that saying, what does this person actually, what, what are, what are they actually indebted to you? What the, the offense, the time, money, relationship, reputation, like add it up and we'll spend some time actually working through that. I said, okay, now forgiveness is wiping all that. It's just canceling the whole thing. Mm. And for some reason, like actually staring down on a piece of paper, like what it is, just add it all up, reach for the stars. What What is the debt they owe you? And then making the decision to actually let it go and to, you know, remind them that it doesn't just happen in a moment that yeah. a lot of times it is a process and to, to not only do that, but to ask God for the strength to continue doing that in order to heal your heart to, you know, like we'll say, take bolt cutters to the chains that tie you to your offender. It's like, man, that's not, that's not good for either of you. So what if, you know, what, what if you actually, uh, if you actually chop that chain in half? And I think some, for some reason, some of those metaphors really help people kind of process. What, You've what seen those help do. people mm-hmm. and they kind of start to go, okay, now I'm getting it and I'll take some steps. Yeah. And, and, and really reminding them too, that, you know, only God can really heal a human heart. And so I want to always keep that central that it's not yeah. just do these four steps and you'll, yeah, you're good yeah, to yeah. go. Like ultimately, like this little girl is saying, like, you have a tummy ache. If there's a sickness in your heart, God ultimately is the one that heals that. And we, through obedience, I think, can, can you know, partner with him in yep. that. But to recognize that, like, yeah, this could, this could be months, this could be years. But, to, you know, take the first step is just a better way to live. That's good. That's good. Roy, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back to the common good. My name is DJ. Nope. The Rev. Nope. That's... <laughs> Can I start over? My name is DJ Sermon Fresh. Nah, no. I should have thought of this. These are all no, real bad. bad. DJ Presbyter. Nope. None of those None of those really flow nope. for your, what would your DJ name be? I I would never have one. You have to guess oh. now. Just, it'll grind my gears if you don't guess. Oh, really? So now you've got your first topic. See, there it is. Uh, DJ. Oh, I see my name, Brian Fromm. I could be DJ Beefro. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of angry at how good that is. DJ Beefro in the house. Can I introduce you as DJ Beefro? Sure. Every time we do Not this particular, th- oh, just for grind my gears. <laughs> just I'm for in. grind my gears. I'm okay. In. So I mentioned earlier, you already have one. I think you actually talked about it yesterday. You're like, oh, I have, I have one for the future. So yes. this is your first 
here's what grinds my gears. Yeah, people who treat their dogs like kids. <laughs> that, that that gets me. And oh, no. so, do I need to distance myself from you for this? I've said many times on here. I have a dog that I adore. I love my dog, but I still know it's a dog. She's a dog. Okay, but this we treat her like a member of the family. I I love this dog. But the other day, my daughter and I <laughs> we were walking oh, no. down. Uh, down downtown Downers Grove uh, at their Friday night we have in town we have uh, you know like where they a car show so getting ice cream walk in having dinner whatever else and we had a couple different people not one person a couple different people uh, that we passed by pushing their little dogs in strollers man I I wanted to I yeah, that bothered me. What did you actually do? I walked around them, and then my daughter and I made fun of them. But that's a whole nother deal. <laughs> like the whole... Uh, you got your daughter in on it then. Oh, she was in. Yeah. Does she have some gears that... Yeah, and it's always little dogs, obviously. I have a little dog. I have a 14-pound dog. But it's when we treat any of our pets like children... Uh, like let's let's slow down on that a little okay, bit. Okay, but does it change things for you if it's someone that wants to have kids and can't? Or their kids have moved away and they're, oh, none of that changes for you? Still love the dog, but in the proper way that it's a dog. What about signing the dog's names and cards? No. None of that? No. What about um, and let me birthday go back gifts here. for the dog? Let me go back. I love my dog. Yeah, we heard you, Brian. You hate dogs. We get it. You're, just, <laughs> you're a hater of joy and happiness and all that is right with the world. Uh, birthdays? Celebrate dogs' birthdays? Is that a thing? I mean, in our family, we'll be like, oh, yeah, today was Pippa's birthday. <laughs> This is the day we got Pitbull a little while ago. But you're not like getting him fancy feast or anything. You're not. No. Okay. There's people who throw their dogs birthday parties. Yeah, that's true, man. People. Come on now. Man, I I don't. It doesn't bother. Whatever. I'm like, live your life. If it makes you happy to put a dog in a stroller and to sign their name in a card, it just. I'm fine with it. Oh. It's your joy. It hurts nobody. Knock yourself out. That's how oh. I feel. See, that's inclusive, Ian. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not good at this segment. When, I, you, when you see people coming at you with a stroller with a dog in it, do you in, do you instinctively make fun of them? Oh, in my head, yeah. Or mm. to your wife after you pass them, will you verbally make fun of those people? Mm, it depends because I love dogs so much. So I'm like, <laughs> I told you I love. That dogs. was like silly, and I wouldn't do that. But yep. I, yeah, I. <laughs> it's interesting. Maybe I would in my head think that's a little odd. Yep. But it doesn't like. I would never say. It doesn't reach grind my gear status. So do you have an, do you got one? <laughs> so I've got a list of them. So you yeah. do? Okay, can you buy me a little <laughs> more time? This is turning into my segment. Yeah, I'm realizing that. I don't even need to be here. So when we go out to restaurants, okay, you ever been a waiter? I have, yes. Okay, so I've, I'm going to own this. I've never been a waiter in oh, my life. Oh, you need to okay. for a month. Can we work that out? I think I'm a little past waiter no, stage in my life so. right now. No, uh, So I am a waiter in some ways. I have three children. And so... Mm. <laughs> Touche. Uh I have a bit of a pet peeve when we go to a restaurant and I'm, I'm a big tipper. Uh, I love waiter. We try to be very nice to the waiters. It's when that waiter comes to your table and there's like a lot of people at your table. Like let's say we're out with my parents and there might be seven people at the table, eight people. And they think it's a badge of honor to take your order without writing it down. Man, Brian Fromm, you are too high strung. Because well, because what always happens is they either get it wrong or they come back and ask you, "What did? How did you want your burger done?" I'm like, write it in the little pad. The technology exists. Like write it in the pad. And every time they do it, I turn to my wife and I'm like, "This, I just write it down." Because you can see they're like, it's like they're playing like some great mind game. Like, okay, iced tea, diet coke. Do you win points for this? What are you doing? I'm not going to tip you more. I'm like, good job, good job. Let me tip more. I only care that you get the order right. 
That's what right. I'm here for. Whether right. you write it down. Yep. Whether you do, just get it right, and right. I, you've now raised the level of getting it wrong <laughs> by not writing right. it down. That's a pretty good one. You mentioning restaurants got it's got one for me. You All ready? Right, I'm ready. And this is so weirdly specific that I don't even know that it will apply to anybody. So I don't get like proper date nights with my wife very often right now. Oh. We're in a you know in a unique season, and on Saturday, no Sunday, I think mm. it was Sunday, uh, got a babysitter. And so, of course, we like planned it pretty far in advance. And I'm an obsessive planner when it comes to that stuff. So I'm like, literally, Brian, I'm not proud of this. I'm reading dozens of websites on most romantic spot in Naperville area. Best view. Best. I'm reading reviews. And I'm like, like, I'm doing this while everyone's sleeping. Like, you know, beautiful mind. Like, it's just it's chaos. So I I, I picked this place in Wheaton because of the rooftop. People say there's Which diffuse. Place? I don't want to say. Okay. I don't. Oh, because this is going to turn. <laughs> right. So I, this is why I got a best okay. view of the city and the weather was great. I was like, oh my gosh, okay. we're doing it. My bride and I are going out so pumped and we get there and uh, I had reserved through open table. I'd given a note. It's date night. And we got two little ones, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, hi, welcome. Um, the rooftop is closed because we're doing some repair work or whatever, but we have a table for you over here. And I was like, I was so bummed. I was like, don't let it ruin the night, Ian. Don't be that guy. So at the end of our meal, which was great, by the way, uh, the waitress goes, uh, oh, you know, we have a rooftop? You should really. And I was like, yes, I do know that you have a rooftop. Uh, I, I'm here because of the rooftop. And she's like, yeah, we have a close right now because we just didn't have enough staff to open it up today. And I was like, excuse me? Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, the hostess said there was repairs. And she's like. There's no repairs. Oh, I was like, no. oh. And I said, my wife gave me this look like it was still a lovely evening. Don't, <laughs> it's okay. don't be that guy. But I, so maybe that's not really a grinds my gears, but I had like oh, done all this work. Cause I, and the irony is I don't even really care about it for me. I did all this work cause I like want her to have this tremendous time. Yep. And what I historically will sometimes do is it will like so get in my head that then I become miserable to be with, and then I'm the one that ruins the date yep. way more than the rooftop. What about the lying hostess? <laughs> right, yeah, totally. So I'm actually, I'm pretty, I'm getting better. I'd be like, okay, okay it was still a good meal. We had a good time. Uh, we, we went and got dessert somewhere else, but it was that sort of like, oh, do you guys know we have a rooftop? And I was like, yeah, yes, yes, I know you have a rooftop. Yeah, That's bad. why I'm here. So That's bad. Does that count? That was a good one. All right, thanks. Uh, so, uh, John, can I can I share this one? What you texted us here? <laughs> we, uh, no. He gave us your DJ name. <laughs> oh, jeez! I told you already that I had a friend that used to call me that in high school. <laughs> Didn't I tell you that? I think so. Just tell everybody what it is. Yeah, it's she fun. used to. I was homeschooled, so I would go to the high school for a couple classes a day. So people didn't really know me. I was going to the high school for stuff that you know we couldn't do at home, and my friend always called me Pimpkins. So she'd be like down the hall and she's like, what up, Pimpkins? And I was like, please stop. No one here knows me. That's not a nickname that I think I should be given at all. So we could go with it during this. We could go with Beefro and the Pimpkin. No, I don't. I don't like that at all. Please get me another DJ name. PJ is freaking out right now. He's really <laughs> unhappy that we went this direction. If, if you have, if you, you kind of put me on a spot there, Beefro. Like, well, that, that's where you get protection as deer in the segment. I texted you as words. Yeah, you that's what texting on, is. Text by definition is words. You don't have to talk about them. Uh, well, we could have waited until the segment was I over. Thought, it was funny. You're right. You're I'm, right. I'm team Beefro on this one. Or Befro for those... With an accent? Does that count? No, I don't think That's so. That's funny. All right, That's so... Funny. That was good. I, you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, former megachurch to microchurch, Pastor James McDonald has a new venture. This is The Common Good. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, plus we're podcasted, plus there's Twitter, plus you can find our Snapchat, oh. our TikTok is really blowing up. I don't really know. I realized the other day I don't know how TikTok works. I feel I think, old when it comes to things like TikTok you're and Snapchat. 42. You should, I don't know that anyone's expecting you to know how, how TikTok How would you works. explain TikTok in a sentence or two to someone who not, doesn't know it? Uh, it's like the most classic way of describing how a wall clock advances. <laughs> Is that? I see what you did there. I see? If you were to do, do you explain the app of TikTok, or don't you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's just Vine again. It is. Yeah, okay. I think so. Okay. I think it might even be the same length of time. I obviously don't know either. I don't have it. You would have thought we wrote that joke about what a clock does. That was really good. That was fast. That was was not well played. No. I'm good. So I don't want any credit for the telling of that joke. Can I tell you what I'm doing tonight, Friday night? Mm, That depends. Daddy daughter dance. Oh, nice. And my youngest, she is so excited. And I am super excited. And every year this is at their school, we do the daddy daughter dance. We go out to Vincitori's in Westmont. I'm not trying to. You know, get any free meal or anything, but uh, and like it's like this date with your elementary school kid, and then you all the dads bring their girls, and they go crazy while the dads stand on the outside and talk, and then because they're all just jumping, it's the best. So that's this, tonight. Did you do this last year? Every year, first like with my oldest daughter because we were doing the show this time last yep. year. First, my oldest it. daughter because, right. and then both of them together, so I would have two dates. My but then my oldest daughter went to junior high, so now it's just my youngest daughter. Oh, super excited! You're living the dream, That's man. Tonight, daddy daughter dance. All right, so James McDonald is back in the news. He's launching a new venture. But before we get into that, you have some words for us. Yeah, the new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called "Blessed to Be the Church," featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world an inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest, and everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash contest. Contest. Way to go, Brian Fromm. I thought that was, so, that was well read right there. Here, <laughs> if you don't say so yourself. Yes. So uh, here's the headline. I think I botched it at the intro here. Uh, from megachurch to microchurch, former Harvest Pastor launches new venture. 
What could that possibly mean, Brian? What's yeah, going on? James McDonald, he's uh, there. The question has always been since McDonald uh, was removed at Harvest Bible Chapel and everything kind of went down there is uh, how is he going to reemerge? Like what's what's the next chapter for James McDonald? And that's kind of coming out. So let me read to you from the uh, Daily Herald uh, from the other day. Uh, fired founding pastor of the suburban megachurch Harvest Bible Chapel is starting a different way of preaching via an effort he calls the Home Church Network. The plan was one of several things he announced via the James McDonald Ministries website and the ministry's social media page. McDonald was fired from Harvest a year ago amid allegations of financial malfeasance and a combative uh, management style. McDonald posted a welcome video on the website. He said, it's been a long year, a difficult year, a refining year. I'm not disillusioned with traditional local church, but large churches present complicating logistics and often negatively affect Christian relationships. For that reason, we feel led by the Lord to offer an alternative for those who need it. Something different and refreshing that we're calling the Home Church Network with all the impact of a large church, but none of the drama. So how is this going to work? People can apply and be approved to host churches in their homes and attend a two-day training event in the spring. It says there are four test groups that will undergo training in February. He said, after 30 years of trying to give a small group experience at a large church, we hope to cultivate the quality of large ministry with the genuine intimacy and relationships of small church. So he speaks of posting old and new blogs, sermons, and other materials on the site. He'll even lead uh, a trip to Israel. The website already has videos of sermons that McDonald gave uh, at Harvest. It says McDonald also plans to resume speaking engagements this year. So what are your thoughts about uh, how James McDonald is coming back? You know, I should have anticipated you were going to ask me that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I still don't want to answer. Uh, Okay. (laughs) You're going to let me— No, we're going to wait here for the next five minutes, just quietly, Mm. just— you thinking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll let you off the hook and tell you this bugs me. Okay, so there you go. Does it bug you? Yeah. Um, for reasons that might surprise you, actually, there's okay. there's a part of me. You know, when we talk about like uh, Darren Patrick, for example, mm-hmm. who was the lead pastor of the Journey and was removed, not necessarily for similar things, but not dissimilar either. And he went through like, a pretty long, arduous um, reconciliation restoration plan that seemed like really thorough and really honoring to the people that were harmed and also really cared for him. And since kind of going through that process, listening to how he's talked about it has been remarkable. Like, yes, there was so much healing that I needed that I didn't even know that I needed until I walked through this three or four year plan. Part of what does frustrate me, I imagine we do have some similar reasons for it bugging Mm us, but it just, doesn't if even half of the accusations are true. And again, we're not lawyers and I haven't read all the documents and blah 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 blah. Yep. I worry a little bit in general for someone a year after all of this sort of exploded yep. to be thrust back into not just ministry of some sort but again at the helm. Like yeah. if it, if leading. If my if the general gut of the people that we're talking with and again, that's a gut so that not, none of this is empirical data is even remotely true, though, then there's a lot of healing that needs to take place yeah. on James's part and leadership part um, before I would think that anything like this would be appropriate, yeah. if ever, to be completely honest. That breaks my heart a little bit because I, I think it does send a message to, to other local churches. We care about this a lot because it's here in Chicagoland mm-hmm. and uh, the potential harm that this could cause for people in the future. I'd love to think that, like, man, total restoration has taken place, mm-hmm. and, of course, let's move forward. 
But um, that's just not the narrative that I'm hearing when I actually talk to people who have been a part of leadership circles there and have experienced their own kind of pain. Yep. Uh, not that you need you know 100 um, percent unanimous thumbs up from everyone who ever attended Harvest. I'm not right. saying that's the appropriate step, but I just I have some trepidation about this being well put. good timing. You know, it's well put. So for me, the fact that the second whole entire half of the um, the Daily Herald article is about him fighting back still at harvest, like against the accusations, yeah, right, right. Uh, says to me it's too soon. Yeah. Uh, there's still unrest. There's still healing that needs to happen. I think uh, any time, and we, you and I have talked about this often, I, you people out there might be saying, well, what about forgiveness? What about restoration? I, we are <laughs> – Here's a really simple statement. We're pro-forgiveness, right? Yeah. We believe deeply in God's grace. That doesn't mean that you should be leading. That doesn't mean that you Or that get you're the... free from consequences. Good point. Or that you should be behind a pulpit or leading a house church network, which is basically sounds like. Um, there's still – there comes a time when there has been these big falls of stepping away from the limelight and the leadership, uh, getting under the umbrella of trusted – uh, leaders and people who can speak into your life and where true restoration occurs. Uh, and then there being from the outside people going, you know what? I, I, I think you're ready. Like, I mm. think you're ready. And that might never come. Right. You got to be open to that. Uh, and that just doesn't feel like that's happened at any stage, at any point along this process here. It doesn't feel like there's ever come a point where it's just where there's been contrition or even agreement on what happened at harvest. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like uh, it's just it's just uh, dangerous is too is too easy of a word. It's just inappropriate. Yeah. Right. Uh, and they're just there's a difference between being restored as a as a follower of Jesus and being restored into ministry and leadership. Uh, and this just doesn't feel appropriate to me. It feels like okay, I, I want to get back in. You know, going back into speaking engagements and all of this stuff just feels. Uh, just do- I don't know. It doesn't feel right to me. Just doesn't feel is right. Is there any in your mind responsibility on the eldership? Like, is there are there other players here that, in the bigger scheme of things, you can disagree with James's conduct and his decision to launch something new? But is there any infrastructure stuff that you step back and say, mm, this is an issue of more than just one guy who really wants to be at the helm of something? Uh, so, are you talking about the elders at Harvest? Yeah, or the elders of the new venture? Or well, that's the thing. I I won't. I don't see any. Uh, at least in this article and the other article I read, I don't see any infrastructure of leadership. I right. think it's him. But is there stuff looking over the shoulder that you think from Harvest that, like, man, had they done X, Y, and Z, we wouldn't be having this conversation? I think they're they're without having been there, it seems like there's years worth of if somebody needed to step in here, somebody needed yeah, to right. step in here. And it feels like power that was kind of unadulterated, and now it's getting moved into a new venture of lack of accountability. And so, you know... You know, is it talking about two sides of my mouth to go, but I hope it goes well, but it just feels, it just doesn't feel appropriate to me. It feels too soon and it feels like it's still missing the mark. Yeah. I think I totally agree. It took me a while to get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It gives us no joy to talk about these things. And I think that's all. why you're that's hesitant why. and I'm know. hesitant. It's not that we don't know what we feel. It's, gosh, I want, I don't want to keep talking about these it things. It bums me out that it's happening at all. Yep. Well, I promise the rest of the show won't be so much a bummer. So uh, <laughs> we're still here kicking and screaming <laughs> on a Friday. But I uh, hope you stick with us here on the, the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us again today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And as always on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Well, uh, one of the things we've enjoyed over the eight or nine months of doing the show so far is getting to meet just a kind of a wide breadth of different types of people, whether on phone or in studio. And uh, today we are we are thrilled to be joined by the director for the C.S. Lewis Institute, K.J. Johnson. K.J., thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's good to join you. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? OK, Um I just moved to Chicago, but I am a native Chicagoan. I grew up here. Yeah, it's good (laughs) to be back. Um, I spent the last two years living in Atlanta. Um, But uh, really before that, I've been running around the globe for about 20 years because I spent 20 years in the Marine Corps. So I grew up uh, in the city. I attended Moody Church uh, for, uh, you know, in the 70s up until the late 80s. I went to a Lutheran grammar school, Mm. Catholic high school. Practicing Buddhist as a father, so I was all sorts of uh, wow. turned around and confused. No kidding. Um, but I went down to Champaign for college, and then after that, jetted in the Marine Corps and, and ran around the globe for a while. So I'm only now getting back into my Chicago roots and yeah. letting my kids feel like they have a, have a home because right. they moved around so much. Like, where are you from? Uh, I don't know. Everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wherever dad says. Yeah. yeah, it probably got that, that, that ministry as well quite a bit. You move wow. kids around a lot and uh, or in the missionary world. So. Right. So pretty boring life is what you're saying. Not <laughs> not really done a whole lot. Okay, we can roll with that. Um, yeah. I'm curious for anyone listening that has no idea that there was, even was a C.S. Lewis Institute. What 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 do you do? What is it about? What what is the major functions of your role and the institute as a whole? Yeah, it's um, it's a well kept secret, but not intentionally so. <laughs> um, so I let, let me I'll tie my my life into it in a second. I discovered them myself uh, when I lived in the Washington D.C. area. And that's where we're headquartered out of. They've been there since 1976. No kidding. Founded by two guys, one of whom uh, was friends with C.S. Lewis. Mm. He's wow. still alive. He's like 96 or 97. His name's Dr. Jim Houston. Some uh, of the theology nerds out there might know okay. him because he helped found Regent in yes. Vancouver with right. J.I. Uh, Packer. Wow. So he was running with Stott and Packer and those kinds yeah. of guys. Wow. And um, he had his vision of creating a ministry that wasn't going to make more fans of Lewis, but make more people like Lewis. Mm. So we're we're just a discipleship ministry. The name Lewis throws people off. We've yeah. had people uh, walk out of our meetings disappointed because we're not, you know, diving into uh, Narnia deep enough. For, <laughs> or, or and, we lo- and, and we love all of that, but uh, it's all with the purpose of building people up in Christ. So oh, sure. if Lewis helps with that, great. Yeah. If not, we'll do something totally different. Yeah, uh, it was interestingly somebody uh, came to me at my church the other day, and they actually asked for. Uh, do you have mere Christianity? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I went and grabbed it. And it made me wonder and think like, man, Lewis kind of, uh, he's got staying power, right? Like people, uh, he's not one of these people who was read and then kind of pushed away. Why do you think C.S. Lewis has such staying power? And in fact, might be growing in popularity uh, over the past generations. I think you're right. And I think um, outside of the Bible and maybe something like Knowing God or a few other classics, mm-hmm. mere Christianity is most often cited as the book that's helped people come mm-hmm. to faith. Yeah. Um, I think it's, so it goes back to our motto is discipleship of heart and mind. And there's this marriage between the two and, and you know, you can fall off the horse on either side and that's I think right. people can focus on one or the other. And like Lewis is a good example of somebody who could thread that needle. Mm. And uh, he, it's his use of imagination is what I think is the fusion between those two. Mm. He, he was no slacker intellectually. Yeah. The guy was brilliant, but he didn't lose you up in the ivory tower. He was able to talk 
and make things make sense to you because yeah. he could use common imagery like nobody. Right. Mm. So I'm curious because, because even just in my own preaching, C.S. Lewis is probably top five authors, thinkers that I quote most often. Yeah. I don't think you're a real preacher if you don't cite him. For those of you listening, take notes. Uh, yeah. I'm curious though, what, what do you think people might be surprised to learn about Lewis? Because I think, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people, if they only have a cursory understanding of Lewis, only know him as the Narnia guy. That's right. What, what do you think people might be surprised to, to know or learn about C.S. Lewis? Well, the two uh, focuses, uh, foci? Fo- focuses? Foci, plural focus. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That people usually look at is, is the fantasy or his apologetics. And he yeah. was top-notch, at least in the latter half of the 50th century, the Christian apologist. Right. Um, but when people ask why we have his name, it, and that gets to your question, is he's, he's our patron saint, if you will. Hmm. Because if you look at his life, he was a guy who was completely sold out for Jesus. Hmm. Um, and, and we think that is a good example of what it means to be a disciple in today's world. Yeah. He, you know, all the books, uh, all the money he made from his books— he really didn't keep much of it. He gave really? something like 95% of it away. He created an agape fund. And there's a famous story of a, um, a letter. He, you know, he wrote letters and answered uh-huh. them all. And some lady who was corresponding with him regularly was complaining about having bad teeth and needed to see a dentist and didn't have money. He sent her money. Okay. He was giving it all away. Um, professionally, you know, he was never given what we would call tenure at Oxford. Mm. And so in the last five or six years, he was stolen away by Cambridge. Um, and that's because his his peers, the professional world he was in, blackballed him. They did not want to give him um, tenure because he was writing outside of his discipline. God. He was writing theology. Even Tolkien was annoyed by him. And then there are stories <laughs> of even some of his friends personally kind of ostracizing him for being a little too zealous. So mm. he, you know, we talk about imitate me as I may take Christ. Paul yeah. says that. We just kind of updated the image a little bit. Here's a guy personally, professionally, um, uh, just sold out and always trying to point people to Jesus and helping mm. them become more like Jesus. Yeah. Wow. I like that picture of Lewis and Tolkien talking like, you're annoying me, Lewis. Lay <laughs> <laughs> off, man. Yeah. So what is it? Uh, how can people, listeners out there, interact with the uh, with the C.S. Lewis Institute? What are some of the resources? How can they get connected? Well, we we try to promulgate this discipleship of mind uh, through resources, and we try to do everything as free as possible. If we ever charge anything, it's because we got an overhead. But you can go on our website, and we've got, I mean, we've been around since 1976. We've got old recordings of J.I. Packer. He was, I think, our very first speaker. And so we've got hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of audio that people can just go and download. Um, Articles, uh, other resources, like videos. You're talking about Mere Christianity. we got a study guide on there where you Uh, can download a study guide with some some lectures that go along with it. Um, We do a year-long discipleship program, which is a real intentional and intensive program. That's how I got involved in the program. It's called the CSOS Fellows Program. It's, It's no tuition you got to apply to get in. You got to get your pastor's buy-in because we don't want, we want the church to wow. hold you accountable. Um, and it's a really intense year of building people up in Christ with the purpose of going back in the church wow. and then helping fulfill the great commission. Um, and then we do other things. We'll do like seminars, but you know, we'd come to a few years ago, for example, actually it was the last time I was in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a guy come in who had a PhD in Islamic studies um, from Britain and he was speaking on do Muslims and Christians worship the same God because of all that stuff going on at Wheaton yep. College for a while. Yeah, right. So we'll do stuff that's, you know, we'll lean on Lewis when we can or we won't, but we do all sorts of stuff. Anything that we can do to help the church yeah. make disciples of, which is why we don't have an office, because we try to do everything wow. in and with and alongside the church. That's so. fantastic. All right, so that's kind of a perfect segue, because I'm curious to know a little more personally yep. what has C.S. Lewis or this institute uh, as a whole really meant to you? How's it kind of formed and shaped you either before or after you were employed by it? Yeah, Um 
You remember that old, I, I use this example and I end up dating myself. Remember the old hair club for men commercial? <laughs> I do, like, yes. I'm not only the president, I'm also a customer. <laughs> so I grew up, I told you I was all sorts of confused growing up, but I, I identified as a Christian thanks to a faithful mother and a faithful grandmother. Hmm. And uh, I went off to college, did the typical college thing, get married, have children, sobers you up figuratively and literally yeah, kind of thing. Right, right. And I started trying to get really serious about my faith. Mm. And and uh, in my high school years, I was serious. I mean, 1985 or 86, my sophomore year, I was, I'm going to stop listening to secular music. <laughs> right, right. Well, after about three or four months, I could only take so much Amy Grant or whatever it was. I still love them. I got, you know, I, I probably still yeah. have her CD somewhere, or actually cassette tape. Yeah. Um, and I went back to The Cure and whatever I was listening right, to. Right. But I mean, that was, no one told me I tried. Right. So I was, I tried. Now, looking back, as I got serious again about my faith, I realized I'd never been discipled. Mm. And God had brought me to a point where I was becoming conscious of this. And that all lined up when I discovered the Institute, when I landed in, in the D.C. area. Wow. And uh, I discovered uh, a, a guy named Tom Terrence, who was the president at the time, and he invited me into the their, their fellows program, and I did it, and he was my mentor, and I've never looked back. So for wow. the past 11 or 12 years, I've been involved with them, even though I wasn't working for them. Right. Uh, because I just believed in this mission of, hey, this is what it, this is our calling. We're going to make disciples. Yes. Yeah. And we, it looks different. You know, I think we get... we. We get stuck in some rigid thinking on discipleship, mm-hmm. but it is so broad and so wide. So that, that just became my calling. So uh, it, it was a natural fit. I love that. That's awesome. Living out of your passion is so good. We're excited to be joined by KJ Johnson. He is the director for the C.S. Lewis Institute, and there's a lot more we want to talk to him about. So he's going to stay with us. Uh, so uh, KJ is going to stay with us in studio here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you join us today. Uh, And continuing to join us in studio is K.J. Johnson. K.J. is the director uh, for the C.S. Lewis Institute. Uh, If you missed any of our uh, earlier conversation, you can get that at the podcast, uh, and that'll be well worth your time. I did want to ask you this, K.J. You've got a lot of things on your bio, and one of them is, uh, before you told us you were, I think you said 20 years in the Marine Corps, right. all over the place. Uh, and it said now that you still serve as an advisor for a Marine Corps discipleship ministry. And that kind of piqued my interest. Talk to, what is that? What, what's going, what are you doing there? Yeah, now it's not officially, you know, sponsored by uh-huh. the, the actual branch. Um, but when I got back, it's about the same time when I, uh, so I, I lived overseas twice for about, so I got about eight years of my life in Japan. Wow. Um, and when I was coming back from uh, my second time in Japan, <clears throat> that's where I was at that point in my life where I was looking for, just, I was getting hungry and I was mm. just basically this dry sponge and needed someone to pour into me. And a friend of mine had pointed out to me that there was a former navigator who had left the navigators to start up something that was going to be specific to Marines. And he was a, like me, he was a retired 20 year guy. He'd just been in a long time ago. Um, and his heart was to reach Marines. And there wow. are a lot of believers in in the military uh, and there are a lot of ministries, just like on campus, like Navigator and Crew and uh, I, I, InterVarsity and things like that. And he wanted something that was just specific for Marines, friends of Marines, things mm-hmm. like that. So I got involved with them when I was there. Um, and I ended up, uh, I'd say, go on staff. It was not paid, but I was their vice president for a little while. And then when I retired, uh, my my heart was, you need an active duty guy in this job, not, not a retired guy that's going to go off. Because yeah. I was coming back here to go to Trinity. Um, and so I've stayed in... Um, 
involved as an advisor just to kind of coach and see cool. what's going on and see them uh, continue to grow. Awesome. That's awesome. All right, so I, I want to ask you about C.S. Lewis a little bit later if we have time, but I'm, I'm actually curious about what you just said, and you said it a little earlier. You have this heart for discipleship, yep. and I was actually just preaching on this over the weekend, and I'm curious, what do you think the church gets wrong about discipleship mm. or Ooh. misses about discipleship or that we just don't understand? Like we talk so often about this like prayer, prayer and you're in kind of language and throughout this whole series, we've been kind of trying to lead people to a deeper understanding of like, what does it mean to actually follow to apprentice Jesus? How, how would you, uh, kind oh of yeah, we could, spend a, we could spend an hour on this. Just, <laughs> just, just, I was hoping we could. There are <laughs> some sacred cows that I would probably touch on here, but, uh, let me start with, um, there are a number of people, so the Institute, we try to be really a center of excellence on discipleship. So mm. we don't claim all the great ideas. What we'll do is we'll, we'll steal them all, harvest them, synthesize them, and share, and share them. So if I was in your church, um, I would, uh, you know, learn what you're doing well yeah. and maybe make some suggestions and then steal them and come over to your church and say, That's oh, yeah, great. you know, look, look what they're doing over here. That's look what great. Brian and his guys are doing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But a couple things, and I think you're alluding to this a little bit, we've turned... Uh, evangelism into a transaction, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very much sort of you're in and you're done, right? Uh, and it's like See no, you in it, heaven, it, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm a I'm a racing fan. For me, that's a qualifying lap. <laughs> now you're that's in the good. race. Now you get to work. That's um, good. I like what Greg Ogden, who has written uh, Discipleship Essentials and yeah. Transforming Discipleship, talks about. Is we've been caught in this Paul Timothy rut. That's one of the things I see. If you want to talk about like the mechanics of discipleship, mm. where whenever we think discipleship, we think you know, mentor, mentee. Yeah. And that is absolutely discipleship, but it's not the only way to do discipleship. Mm-hmm. And that's something that uh, the New Testament scholar, Mike Wilkins will talk about is a lot of, di- a lot of teaching and discipleship isn't necessarily wrong. It's just maybe incomplete. Right. It doesn't right. go all the way. Yes. And so, you know, there's some great discipleship ministries here in the Chicagoland and I won't name any, but they'll do something that works maybe on campus or in the inner city or in the affluent suburbs like that works there, but it may not work elsewhere. Right. Um, and like the three of us got together at Panera for coffee. <laughs> got a, you probably my have reference. tea, I think, but tea. yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and chili. <laughs> and what we get to get, say we get together on a, you know, semi-regular basis. That's discipleship. This peer to peer element yeah, of getting right. together and growing to, you know, iron sharpening iron, all yes. that. To me, that's one of the biggest missing elements in the church today. We can do that more regularly. It's more natural. It's mm. uh, less intimidating. Uh, then, then that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that, right. That's that's a start. There's a lot I think that goes in, right? Because I think we also have a very narrow view yeah. of discipleship. Yes, I'm Agreed. curious. You, I love your passion for discipleship. When you're talking to pastors or just regular church leaders or church attenders, uh, do you sense an excitement to kind of grow their mind on discipleship, or do you kind of is it kind of like mm, that? Kind of sounds hard. I'm, I'm not so sure about that. We like programs. Yeah, and we run a program too, but. To me, I've seen really well-designed programs fail and then some mediocre ones succeed, but because of the vision and the passion behind it. Mm. So it's not the program that's right or wrong. It's us. Um, But yeah, I I see it as being a hard nut to crack because we want to create sort of a conveyor belt of discipleship. And we also, again, I go back to, so here's a, 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 I'll go very Lewisian on you. We (laughs) need to think of the things that we do instead of being, um, cul-de-sac roundabouts. These are means yeah. of living out our discipleship. Or another analogy I use is, you know, if we talk uh, anything that's gospel related, missions or theology or apologetics, you know, these are like, think of them as books on a shelf, these categories. Right. Too often we think of discipleship as another book on the shelf. Mm. But for me, it's the bookshelf. And oh, those are good. all means of living out our yeah. discipleship. And I think part of it is just sort of uh, the Lewisian iconoclast. We got to break this understanding and go, right. hey, 
it is, you know, the whole purpose of the church yeah. is to make little Christs. Yeah, right. And, and you, really may, you may, some churches have a, a gift of evangelism, some are good right. at social justice. Yep. Okay, recognize that in the greater scheme. That's good. That's really good. I, I heard a, an interview, I think it was with Alistair McGrath recently, and I think he wrote a book on Lewis, and in yep. the book, he refers to Lewis as a reluctant prophet. And I'd never heard him describe that. Would you agree with that? And if so, like, yeah. why? Do, where do you think that phrase comes from? How does it apply to Lewis it, specifically? It, it's probably a play on his own comment that he uh, was the most reluctant convert in all of England when he mm-hmm. finally bent the knee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, he he didn't want the fame. He mm-hmm. was very private. He was happy with his routine. Yeah, he really never, outside of the war, really never traveled much outside really? England. Um, he was happy to be in his little routine and wasn't necessarily looking for what he had. So I would say yes. Mm. And that there was one point where, before he wrote uh, the Narnia, uh, Line Witch, Witch in the Wardrobe, he had not written anything for like four or five years. And wow. he, he had said, if God sees fit that, you know, my skills are waning, blessed be he. If he has another book in me, blessed be he. Wow. He was just as happy to be writing and not writing. That's awesome. That's fast. And then he wrote Narnia? And then he wrote <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. Oh, that's what really, a precursor. My goodness. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, so some people out there may be either unfamiliar with Lewis or they've just never read him because Lewis can be tough to read. I remember the first time I tried yeah. to read Mere Christianity going, I'm going to put that one away for a little bit and come back to it. Uh, maybe what would you say? And I know this could be like choosing your, between your own children, but maybe uh, someone who's never read Lewis, I'd start with books, maybe the top three. Read these three over time. What would you tell people? Uh, top three uh, Mere Christianity, screw tape letters, and the Great Divorce. Okay. Um, if you're going to be reading for nonfiction, yep. otherwise jump right into into Narnia yeah. and and read through those. There's so much allegory and rich richness yeah. there that you can apply to, especially if you got kids. Read that yep. to your kids. That's great. Right. It'll, it'll be a great foundation. But yeah, don't start with Abolition of Man. That's where I started. <laughs> I, That's I, when you I, started. I dropped it and didn't touch Lewis again for like three years. Yes. <laughs> Understandably. Yeah. I was reading uh, The Four Loves a couple years ago and the chapter where he's talking about friendship and he's describing when, when Charles Williams died. And in, his, in this passage, he's saying, I'm, I was assuming I was going to get more of Ron. I think that's what he called Tolkien. I, I, I was assuming, you know, because of the, uh, the inklings in there. And I, I'm sure there's discipleship language kind of wrought within that. And he said, I assumed that I would get more of Ron. What I found is I actually got less of him, though, because there was a part of Ron that only came alive after hearing like a distinctly Charles joke. And yeah. there's this really beautiful imagery of like, oh, this is why life together is is better. Could you speak to that a little bit and why, and why that was important to Lewis? I, I think he saw the importance of community. Yeah, right. And in today's highly individualized right. society that we live in, and we see that in the church even, uh, we need community, we need each other to participate yeah. in uh, in a, each other's lives and in the life of Christ. We right. bring each other alive in that, yeah. yeah That's absolutely. really good. I think, he, I think he just saw that naturally. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, with our last minute here, why don't you tell people again how they can connect with you guys? Website, however else, go ahead and give all the particulars. Uh, best thing to do is either go to our website, www, one word, cslewisinstitute.org. It's a okay. mouthful. Or you can <laughs> email me, kj at cslewisinstitute.org, or find us on your favorite social media platform if you you imbibe and all that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and we do. Right. We and, 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 uh, anyway, KJ, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you on again sometime. We didn't even touch on your work with Ravi Zacharias Ministries and some other stuff. So, yeah. um, But he is uh, KJ Johnson, the director for the C.S. Lewis 
uh, Institute. K, uh, KJ, thanks so much for joining hey, us. Hey, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank Free you. and Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Uh, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. It is the end of the show. Here we are. <laughs> where we fear where Here things we go are. off the rails. <laughs> We've built up we've built up credibility for the last hour and a half hour. We, I think we have, have compared you, to what we're about. Have to you do. ever listened to the show before? Have you ever listened back to the show and thought, "Wow, we are building there credibility. are some credible people behind those microphones." And uh, the way we end every show is with some interweb insanity. Our our producer John and Keith Conrad uh, they find crazy stories from the internet. We haven't seen them sight unseen. We read them. And uh, we react with you. Ian, why don't you go first? All right. Australia. Did you like, did you like my hand? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to read it like that from now on. Domino's Pizza is seeking a chief garlic bread taste tester that pays $30 an hour. I'm in. Brian, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we're moving to Australia. Looking for a job? Are you a big fan of garlic bread? Well, we have the job for you for $30 an hour. For just one day, you get to spend the day in Brisbane, Australia, eating delicious garlic breads and other products being tested by the company. But what are the qualifications, you ask? According to the company, you must have a minimum of five years' experience in eating garlic bread, a detailed understanding of pizza and garlic bread relationship, working taste buds, <laughs> has burned their fingers at least once not being able to wait for the garlic bread to cool down, <laughs> a history of reviewing other people's food choices. To apply, you must complete a survey, write a 200-word essay, or create a 30-second video on why you're the perfect candidate for the position. Applications must be submitted by October 7th. It's almost 9 o'clock. We've got to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Not our best work. Canada. Uh, Raccoons. What did you call them that one day? Raccoons. Raccoons. (laughs) Raccoons. Breakthrough. No, call call them raccoons. Raccoons. (laughs) Do you know I'm deathly afraid of raccoons? You've mentioned this a couple of times, but doesn't it saying it silly make them a little less scary? (laughs) Oh, you're you're just just a raccoon. I wouldn't say it to its face. (laughs) They don't understand you, Brian. You think they're like sentient, don't you? They they sense fear. I know. They sense fear. (laughs) Raccoons I think you're thinking through. of demons, is what you're thinking of. <laughs> <They're, It's, laughs> tomato, tomato right there. They break through a roof to ransack home. A British Columbia man who was on vacation when he received a phone call from a neighbor about a possible break-in returned home to find a group of raccoons had broken through his ceiling and ransacked the house. Ransacked. Ken Retchick of White Rock said he cut his vacation in Costa Rica short when a neighbor alerted him to activity inside his home. And he arrived to find a gaze of, we went, that's a misprint. He goes, we went into the house and there was a gaping hole in the garage and tracks all over. It was raccoons. He said the raccoons had bored a hole through his wooden shingle roof to get into the garage attic. And they were then able to make their way into the house. They feasted on sugar, ransacked the house, damaged and destroyed many valuables. They are demonic. (laughs) Maybe the most surprising part of that whole story is that he left his vacation early. Yeah, I think he was mad. I he think just called the police yes. or something? What are you yes. doing? All right, Massachusetts. Stash of undelivered Amazon packages in cemetery turns police into delivery drivers. Wow. Officers in Massachusetts... Let me try that again. Officers in Massachusetts Police Department briefly turned into Amazon drivers after a stash of undelivered packages was found in a cemetery. Burlington police tweeted that a diligent groundskeeper at a cemetery in the town of northwest of Boston found the packages Monday morning 
in a trash receptacle and contacted police. Police did not say exactly how many packages there were, but photos posted on social media showed about 20. The packages were addressed to Burlington residents, so police took it upon themselves to deliver them. How nice. They were also investigating to determine how the packages ended up at the cemetery and have contacted Amazon. They tweeted, if you see an officer delivering your package today, say hello. Dad, knocking over gravestone is bad luck. Really? I heard good. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I feel like the answer to that is ghosts. Yeah, that it does feel like ghosts. New York. Some Americans still think chocolate milk comes from brown cows. No. Survey finds. Stop. According to a recent survey, 7% of Americans believe chocolate milk comes from brown cows. No. The survey was conducted uh, by the Innovation Center of U.S. Dairy in April. 1,000 adults 18 and over were asked questions about the role milk plays. The study found... 48% of respondents weren't sure where chocolate milk came from. What? 7%. 48%. Half? 7% thought chocolate I milk quit. only comes from brown cows. I don't know. I'm feeling smarter as I read this. <laughs> that adds up to about 16.4 million people, more than the population of Ohio. The Washington Post linked the study to past studies that consistently show many Americans have no idea where their food comes from. For example, a study in the 1990s found that nearly 20% of people did not know hamburgers were made from beef. Well, you were just dumbing a bag of hammers. <laughs> I remember going to a grocery store with the high school student when I was a youth pastor, and he said something like, why do we even still have groceries? Or why do we still have farms? We have grocery stores. And I said, where do you think the milk comes from? And he goes, uh, the back. And I was like, oh, man. All right, last but not least, thank you, Florida. Man breaks into house he used to live in because he, quote, felt at home. <laughs> Bob Bischoff and his fiance were sleeping in the bedroom of their home in Seminole when, he, when she heard noises at the other end of the house. When she went to investigate, she discovered the office door was closed, which is not normal. Bischoff is still shaking his head in disbelief what they discovered. Then she says, oh, my gosh, Bob, there's somebody in the house. There's somebody in our house, Bischoff said. So I said, oh, my gosh. A lot of, oh my gosh. Yeah. I get up and go to the other side of the house and the door is closed and now the bathroom door is closed and somebody's flushing the toilet. This is a real page turner. <laughs> <laughs> Pinellas County deputies identified the man as 25-year-old Dylan Hoyt. He used to live at that home and apparently felt at home there. Bischoff says Hoyt didn't attempt to conceal his identity. After hearing the toilet flush, Bischoff yelled at the man. So I yelled and I said, who's in there? He says, it's Dylan. I said, Dylan, who are you? He said, I used to live here, Bischoff said. I said, I don't, I don't live here anymore. Get out of my house. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. Well, I enjoyed that reading that she did there. You yeah, were doing the really, dialogue. I really, really, that. really brought some energy to that. I really I? enjoyed that. That was good. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show today. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. You've been listening to The Common Good. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.